If you want to go ahead and open up in your Bible to the book of Proverbs, you can also find a Bible underneath the seat in front of you if you need one. Uh, we'll be in Proverbs 8 here in just a couple minutes um, as we kind of continue on in the summer of wisdom, which I'm having a lot of fun with. I hope you are too, uh, learning what God's Word says. And Trevor just mentioned as he was praying the new identity we have as Christians, that we walk in Jesus, and the way that we walk is the, wa is the, the walk of wisdom. And so uh, this summer, I hope that you're gaining some practical insight through Proverbs as we do that. But first, I want to talk to you a little bit about the fair. Um, you know, in the, for the last, I don't know how many years, maybe eight years or something, we've maintained a booth at the fair, a tent at the fair, where our aim is just to make community connections, introduce people to Jesus in various ways, connect people to our church family, and even to a certain extent to connect with each other, because a lot of us end up at the fair a lot during that week. And uh, so we have a tent again this year. I wanted to review with you what we did last year and then introduce what's coming. Now, each year we pick a different theme, so it hasn't been consistent any of the years because we think, you know, what's like on a new creative way to help people engage? Last year we had kind of a mission-focused tent, and it was a partnership of Great Lakes Eye Care and our church and Vision Outreach, which are the mission agency that does eye care locally and internationally for people in need. And we gave people eye screenings. Some of you are a part of that, right? It was really simple, but kind of fun. And uh, the, the booth that we put together looked like this. Uh, that's a view from inside of it. And we were actually using an eye screening tool that they use out on the mission field and giving people a quick check and giving them a little card that says, hey, go, go see a real doctor if you need to. And uh, so we had some fun with that. Surprisingly, we were able to actually give 1,348 people eye screenings, which when we thought this thing up, we literally thought, like, what if zero people are willing to do this? Who knows? Uh, but it was really neat. We, of course, we got to connect with many more people than just that. Those are the people that actually took the little test we had. And uh, as a result of the partnership we had with those other groups, that kind of unlocked a, a level of donations that able, was ultimately able to help fund 116 surgeries for people who needed eye care in Africa, and also part of those funds went and helped people locally who are in need of eye care as well. And I just thought for the fun of it, I would show you some pictures of what we funded in Africa uh, that happened toward the end of last year with those funds. So uh, clinics that were set up, some teams obviously went with doctors and uh, ended up doing a variety of these uh, surgeries. You can talk to Dr. Cook or Roger Cabe if you're interested in like more of the specifics of what actually happened. I'm the wrong person to talk to about all that, but it looks pretty good. The, uh, lots of people were able to be given some care that otherwise they would never have had access to. So it was kind of neat to be able to connect our fair ministry with a mission agency and see those neat things happen. So you say, okay, great. What is this year's theme? This year, we're going to have some fun and just try to connect in a deep way with people throughout our community conversationally, and we're going to do that with colors and art. Now, some of you, your eyes are brightening. You're like, hey, that sounds exciting. Others of you are thinking, there's no way I'm volunteering to help little kids paint. But that's what I'm going to ask you to do. Um, so over the course of this month, we're going, to have, we're going to be putting out kind of our volunteer thing. It's just like previous years, you can sign up for blocks of time. If you happen to be creative in this area and you want to kind of come and add ideas and value to that, we'd love for your engagement as well. Uh, but our aim is ultimately to create a context where we can just spend some quality time with families in our community. So as you know, kids or teens in particular are doing art projects, I have a feeling that things we'll do, adults are going to want to do the art projects too. Um, it'll be a time to sit down and just hang out in kind of a non-pressured environment. 
Now, sometimes when we do this, our goal is to see like how many people can we impact quickly. Uh, this year, our goal is how many people can we have real conversations with? Not necessarily trying to move it along any faster than it naturally would go, just creating a context where people can come and enjoy hanging out together. And in the process of that, of course, we want to introduce them to our church or to opportunities for their kids or teens to engage with our church. Um, but, you know, kind of more than that, it's not really about us in ex exactly. It's really about just connecting them ultimately to Jesus uh, through those conversations. So if you are interested in that, you can go ahead and text the church office or call and just say, hey, I'm sure, you know, regardless of what else is coming, I know, I know we're going to want to volunteer for that. We'd love to hear from you early. Otherwise, you can wait for the emails and announcements that will come over the next month and you can sign up uh, when you see those coming through. Uh, but I hope a lot of you will engage as helpers for this, and then also, um, if you go to the fair, like stop by and actually do the activities yourself. Uh, bring your kids and grandkids along and have some fun with that. So, um, in the book of Proverbs, Summer of Wisdom, I don't know if you have been having the same experience that I've been having, but those daily texts that are getting sent out, which I'm really grateful for Beth and a few others who've written those, those come at moments when like, I could kind of use that wisdom. I don't know if anybody else had that experience where you're kind of in the course of your day, all of a sudden, boom, right there on your phone is like a little warning like, hey, don't do the thing you're about to do. <laughs> okay, thanks for that. Um, and, and honestly, I don't actually know who is writing all the little challenges that go along with them. I think it's a smattering of people throughout the church. And uh, so sometimes I'm looking at this going like, that's a really good thought. Like who... Who sent that to me? But at any rate, if you're not on our text list, we have another month and a half of those texts that'll come every day, a little bit of wisdom from Proverbs just to help, um, help engage you. I think there's 160 adults involved in that now. Um, teens, you can jump into that. More people, anybody can get those texts. We'd love to send those to you. So now we're ready to jump in. When we got to Proverbs 1 a few weeks ago, we identified the three things we have to do with the wisdom that this book offers us. We have to listen to it, we have to receive it, and we have to explore it. All right, and that's really our heart as we're going through this summer, taking some parts of Proverbs and diving deep, taking other parts of Proverbs sort of thematically and looking wide. Lord, what do you want to teach us about your wisdom so that our lives can be successful in both the earthly sense and in the eternal sense? Both of those categories, your earthly success, that is in your career or your relationships or your money, uh, that's going to be impacted by the extent to which you apply God's wisdom. Even more, your eternal success, that is, do, does your life actually add up to the purpose God built you for? Do you accomplish what you're on earth to accomplish? That has a lot to do with how you engage with this wisdom. And so we've already talked about a couple of these. You can get the daily texts if you want to engage with that further. Read the daily proverb. Of course, you're attending the services. That's great. Um, I think the most important is to pray about, you know, discuss with God what you're learning from this book of, of the Bible and just ask him to give you the practical wisdom you need to take these principles and turn them into your life's choices. So last week... Uh, we looked at chapters five through seven, and we got a lot of feedback, by the way, from what happened last week. Uh, just people, a lot of people said, hey, thanks for addressing that issue directly. Say, well, that's right there in the Bible. The Bible actually thought to do that, you know, thousands of years before we thought to do that here at the church. If you read your Bible, you would know that, right? So the, uh, the greatest dangers you face, as we have learned, is, that, is not necessarily from trials that might harm you from the outside. It's actually from temptations that could ruin you from the inside. 
And so much of what Proverbs gives us in the way of warning is not warning about impending disasters that might come at us. It's actually warning about the way that we could make our own disaster of our life by falling to foolishness uh, or dining at the table of folly, as we'll talk about in a little while today. Uh, last week, we talked specifically about sexual temptation and how that has um, just so much potential to ruin you from the inside out. And uh, we zoomed in on the end of verse 19 of chapter 5, may you always be captivated by her love, speaking about your wife or your, your spouse that you've committed to for your whole life, the way that you avoid the temptations of careless lust is instead to choose to be captivated by your spouse. We recognize marriage is the context for which God built sexual relationship to happen, and if you're willing to make the commitment to follow wisdom that direction, your life will ultimately have the most fulfillment, um, and you won't fall prey to a lot of the temptations that are out there. Uh, and this is ultimately what you receive in response to obeying God's principles in that area of your life. Uh, you'll be truly loved, you'll be truly known, and you'll be truly satisfied. That's where we left off last week. So where do we go from here? Now, in the context of Proverbs, that's just one area of wisdom where it serves it up for us and says, hey, you have to make the decision, but here's the truth, what will you do? In chapters 8 and 9, the author cycles back to sort of the ultimate value equation of the whole book to say, hey, before we get into the Proverbs themselves, which you could kind of look at chapter 10 and forward in the book as a whole bunch of you know, what look like kind of random sayings. They're not exactly random in a negative sense. It's just they're the collection of wisdom that had been put together, and as you read it, you say, wow, every single verse from chapter 10 all the way through chapter 31, you could, you could take one whole week and just talk about the little nugget of wisdom in that particular verse. So what we'll do today is we'll finish through the end of chapter 9 and see sort of this decision point that is, that is given to us at the end of 9. Next week, we'll start 10 to 31, and we'll approach that more thematically. So, so far, we've been preaching through this book kind of in order, you know, 1 through 9, because there's a narrative to follow. Starting next week, we'll look at the big categories that wisdom has impact on, like work and laziness, or career choices, or leadership, or relationships, money management, all the things that Proverbs gives us all sorts of things to talk about. Uh, we'll break those down and spend the rest of the summer learning all the wisdom we can about those practical areas. But here's the question that we come to in chapters 8 and 9. The table is set. Where will you dine? The table is set. Where will you dine? And it gives us this metaphor. It says there's actually two houses that have a feast set up. The house of wisdom and the house of folly. And you're about to receive an invitation to both of those houses, and you have to decide which table will I sit down at and start eating? Which life direction will I go? And the decision you make today will dramatically impact how the rest of Proverbs looks to you. Whether it's just the collected sayings of a bunch of old people a long time ago, or whether it actually is God's word to you. It all depends on which table you're sitting at and where you dine. So we're going to look at chapter 8, verse 1. We'll walk through this text together. You ready? Key word for Proverbs is what? Listen. It always seems to come up, right? So here it is. Listen as wisdom calls out. 
Here, as understanding raises her voice, on the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads, by the gates at the entrance of the town. On the road leading in, she cries aloud, I call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me. For I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. My advice is wholesome. There's nothing devious or crooked in it. My words are plain to anyone with understanding, clear to those with knowledge. Choose my instruction rather than silver, and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is worth far more than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with it. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment, and I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance and corruption and perverse speech. Common sense and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. Because of me, kings reign and rulers make just decrees. Rulers lead with my help and nobles make righteous judgments. I love all who love me. Those who search will surely find me. I have riches and honor as well as enduring wealth and justice. My gifts are better than gold, even the purest gold. My wages are better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness and paths of justice. Those who love me will inherit wealth. I will fill their treasuries. That's a good value equation, right? Here, this is the promise of wisdom going out. She's walking down the street calling. If you want wisdom, you can find it. If, you're, if you'll search for me, you'll find me, and this is what I will give to you. Say, well, why would someone not take that deal? We'll find out in a few more verses. Next, the text goes to the sort of the scientific angle of this, that the wisdom of Proverbs is not just talking about ethics and morality. There's also a science dynamic, which we talked about a few weeks ago, that actually the way the world works uh, is a part of God's wisdom. So verse 22, the Lord formed me from the beginning before he created anything else. I was appointed in ages past at the very first, before the earth began. I was born before the oceans were created, before the springs bubbled forth their waters, before the mountains were formed, before the hills. I was born before he had made the earth and the fields, the first handfuls of soil. I was there when he established the heavens, when he drew the horizon on the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above, when he established the springs deep in the earth. I was there when he set the limits of the seas so they would not spread beyond their boundaries. When he marked off the earth's foundations, I was the architect at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was with the world he created, how I rejoiced with the human family. So here, wisdom, one of the reasons we listen to wisdom is wisdom predates us. right? Wisdom is the method that God used to build the world we're living in. And it's also the method that will work the best as far as building your life going forward. So why wouldn't you say, of course, I want wisdom. Of course, I'll listen to that voice. Verse 32. So my children, listen to me. For all who follow my ways are joyful. Listen to my wise instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Joyful are those who listen to me. Watching for me daily at my gates. Waiting for me outside my home. Notice there's kind of proactive here, right? Wisdom doesn't happen to you. 
You have to go for it. You have to get after it. You're looking for it. You're searching. Whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. They don't know they love death. They think they're just living their lives. They think they're just making their own decisions. But if you reject the wisdom that actually created your life and defines your life, you're rejecting life itself. So rather than walking that road, we want to answer the invitation of wisdom. Right? So here in chapter 9, it sets up this, this idea of two tables from which we select where will we dine. It says, wisdom has built her house. She's carved its seven columns. She's prepared a great banquet, mixed the wines, and set the table. She sent her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city, Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, Come, eat my food, and drink the wine that I've mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. Say, wow, that's the invitation I want to respond to. Right? Of course. If wisdom is worth so much, why would I say no to Lady Wisdom's invitation to eat at her table? Well, there's some reasons you might say no. The next section talks about the people who can't listen. And then we hear about the invitation that folly or foolishness offers instead. Verse 7 says, anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Has that ever happened to you? Like you try to tell somebody what they need to know, they actually, don't, they actually can't listen, they can't handle the truth. So all they can do is fire back, and somehow like you're the bad guy for giving them the truth, right? We've all had that experience. It says, anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they'll be even wiser. Teach the righteous, and they will learn even more. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. We talked a lot about what that means a few weeks ago. But all of this understanding of life, all of the wisdom that we're going to walk forward in starts when we recognize who God is, when we fear God in truth. Verse 11, wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you'll be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you'll be the one to suffer. Now here's the other invitation. Hey, imagine you're holding the royal invitation from wisdom and you open up the seal, and there it is. Come and dine at my table. And you're thinking, wow, of course I want to go and eat the food that wisdom has prepared for my life. But verse 13 says another invitation gets handed to you. The woman named Folly is brash. She's ignorant and doesn't know it. She sits on her doorway on the heights overlooking the city, and she calls out to the men going by who are minding their own business, Come in with me. She urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, stolen water is sweet. It's refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. But little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of the grave. So you have these two invites waiting for you to open them. Wisdom is saying, hey, if you'll leave your simple ways behind, I will teach you and I will guide you forward. 
Folly is saying, hey, let's just keep a secret. We'll just have some fun. You can worry about all that serious stuff later in your life. And little do those people know, the dead are there. Over and over again, it's just like the temptations we talked about last week. Throughout human history, we all think we're corporately getting smarter because we see technology developing, but our actual, like our own brains are not getting smarter because we fall for the same traps over and over and over and over again, unless we listen to the voice of wisdom. So let's break this down a little bit. Let's think about what is the decision-making pathway that you or I might have if we were going to accept one of these invitations. Let's say that you're the sort of person you think, you know, I, I think I might actually accept Folly's invitation. I just want to have a good time. I'll worry about the serious stuff later. What's the grid that's happening in your mind? Okay, so let's think of it this way. The simple-minded grid for decision-making. Hey, the call goes out. The person who answers Folly's invitation is wondering and thinking, what will be more fun right now? Right, have you ever had that thought in your mind? You've got options, right? You could do the long-term thing, the thing that probably makes more sense for the smart people, but right now... Man, I could, I could have fun. Right now, I could do what I want. What foolishness will do in your mind is it will have you think that, but it'll trick you because it'll sort of give you this promise like you'll do the right thing next time, but just right now, you could have fun. So you do it, and then you get like, you know, a few minutes later, a few hours later, hey, right now, have some fun. You could do the work later. And what, what will happen is if you in, answer the invitation of folly, you, you might actually have great intentions to get, you know, whatever, smarter someday. But today, I just, just give me a few more hours of sleep or let me play that game a little longer. Or I'll, just, I'll just go do this thing that makes me feel good right now. But later on, you know, then, then things will change. Okay, the other, another question the simple-minded are usually contemplating is what are the cool people doing? Which is interesting because you could kind of depends, depends on your definition of cool, right? If you think cool are the people whose lives actually work well, then it's not a, cool people aren't accepting Folly's invitation. But sometimes the way peer pressure tends to work is you look around you and you think, man, the people that are partying, the people that seem like they're having fun, the people that are really popular right now, the people that are trending right now, if I do what they do, maybe I'll have fun too. That's what a simple minded person thinks, right? Simple-minded people might say, like, I'm going to make my own decision to be unique. And then they do exactly what everybody else is doing. Doesn't make a lot of sense. That's because it's simple-minded, right? So the other question, which I think might be the most tempting of all, is what's my easiest next step? This is why Folly's invitation traps so many people. Because, man, you just feel like you deserve to take an easy step. Like, I know I'm supposed to work or, you know, make tough choices, but today, it would just be easier to relax. And it always is. It's never easier to do the right thing. So if, what you, if what's animating your decision-making process is what's the easiest thing for me to do, you will always end up doing the wrong, less valuable things, the shallow things in life. All right, now a little bit of test here. Some people say most communication is actually like physical from your body, not just your mouth. 
right? You've probably heard about that. The nonverbal cues that you might give someone when you're listening to them. So some of you give me verbal cues as I'm talking, right? Some of you nod along, some of you sleep, some of you, like it's all cues. It all gives me data that, you know, okay, I, I learned something when that happens. Um, so we all have these nonverbal cues. So I'm thinking, what is the physical response you have when wisdom is given to you that you really are not interested in listening to? So let's just say that it's coming from a boss or a parent or a pastor, maybe, who knows. Um, and they say something to you that, like, you hear them, but you're not exactly intending to do anything with it because you really would rather not hear them at all. You'd rather they just stop talking and leave you alone. What is your physical response that happens? Like, how do you indicate that without saying any words? What do you think? Some of you are really good at this, so you should know, right? What, what, how, do you, how do you kind of let a person know that they should just stop talking? I think, well, you could roll your eyes. You could, uh, you could look away. You could look down. I was thinking, what do I do? Hey, here's, here's what I think I do most often, but I just try not to do it like, very visibly. I think I do this. Anybody else do that? Just sort of shrug. Like I hear you talking. Not exactly something I'm planning to listen to, but you know, okay. So just try it. Just shrug. I mean, just, you know, here's the voice of wisdom coming. You're like, eh, you know, whatever. That shrug is one of your options. When you hear what God wants, you could shrug. All right, so let's go to the other decision-making process here. What, do the smart what are the smart people doing? It's always, always a valuable question to ask, right? From earliest grade school forward, if you want to make your way in your career, your college life, whatever, it's always a great thing to say, what are the smart people doing? So what are they doing? Well, they're using a different decision-making grid. Uh, when they come up against a decision, one of the things that rolls through their mind is what would be the best not necessarily that it won't be fun, but the fun isn't the top line thing for them. They're actually thinking, what's the best thing? And the more they think about the best, the more that kind of leads them down a smarter path. Uh, they might be saying, what are the successful people doing? Instead of what are the you know, cool people doing? So the, the, something that was said to me just a few weeks ago that really has struck me, I've been thinking about it on and off like quite a bit. Um, they, they made this statement, um, they said, Successful people do what unsuccessful people don't want to do. Just think about that for a minute. Successful people do what unsuccessful people don't want to do. So what do unsuccessful people not want to do? Well, they don't want to get up early in the morning, they don't want to work, they don't want to set down their device, they don't, they don't want to turn off the TV, they don't want to have a tough conversation, they don't want to, they don't want to have to do something that's you know, physically demanding on them. That's what unsuccessful people do, and they get really good at being unsuccessful when they do it. But if you want to be successful, you would make a list of like, well, what are the successful people doing? So smart people are wondering that. They're thinking that through. I saw a list that was kind of convicting one time, I'm not trying to meddle personally for anybody here, but it was a list of like how the rich use their time versus like the people that are poor in American culture. You know, none of these things are rules. They're just, it was just statistics. So you really nothing to argue with, but it was kind of, it was kind of interesting. Um, one was the, there was, a, there was a relationship between the more social media 
the poorer. The more TV, the poorer. <laughs> I thought, wow, those are, it makes sense when you think it through, but on the day-to-day -day basis when you're making your decisions about how to use the next half an hour of time, it doesn't feel that way, right? So it's just good, to, it's just good wisdom. And then what's my most fruitful next step? Like the people that actually hear the invitation of wisdom and go, yes, I want to dine at her table. Well, they're the people that are thinking what actually adds up, what would be a fruitful course of action. So, same thing here. If you hear some wisdom, what's your physical response in your body if you do want to listen? So you're not gonna shrug this one off. You're actually like, let's say you really value the person talking you, you realize, like, whoa, they're giving me gold here. I want to listen. What do you physically do that indicates you want to listen? Try it. I'm trying to think about what I do physically. I think I do this. I think I lean forward. Anybody else do that? Like, you're almost like, okay, whoa, this is real. I want this. And suddenly you get a lot more attentive, your eyes are looking right at the person, and you lean toward them. It's like an evidence that you're really, really listening. So I'm looking out, seeing who's listening right now. All right, it's good. It's good. I can see who's not listening too, so beware. Um, when God speaks, when the wisdom comes, when Proverbs is open, when we go to chapter 10 and we start seeing all the sayings of the wise lined up, the, the smarter people are leaning forward because they're going, oh, wow, this could help me. I could grow. I could. It's like when you instruct the wise, they get even wiser. So I'm going to learn as much as I can. So you can either shrug it off or you can lean in to what God wants you to learn. So a couple challenges here that I want to offer you. One is to go back to the middle of the text it's interesting, you know, you've got the invite from wisdom at the first few verses and then the invite from folly at the end. But in the middle, there's a little bit of commentary because you could almost imagine like you want to go to the people you care about and say, please be wise. Like you, you know, especially the older you are, the more you've got that because you, you either have lived the benefit of wisdom or you've lived the, you know, consequence of folly in your own life. So then you're seeing other people going, hey, you've got to listen to me. Please don't mess this up. But there's a little bit of a caveat because not everyone can listen. Verse 7, anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt. So what happens to you if you try to offer some help or wisdom to someone and they mock you or insult you in return? What do you usually do next time? Probably nothing, right? You say, if that person doesn't want to listen, I'm not going to waste my time talking. And so suddenly, they don't, not only are they not willing to hear the truth, but people stop even bothering to tell them the truth, which gets them more and more into their own little universe, thinking they're okay when they might not be. Anyone who corrects the wicked will get hurt, so don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you, but correct the wise and they will love you. So I was thinking about this verse, just kind of meditating on verse 8. I think it actually provides a little bit of a test, a test of my heart and yours. And it's these two words, hate and love. When I feel like someone is correcting me, what is my heart's reaction? I hate that person. I never want to talk to them again. How dare they do that? How dare they insult me? That's one option. What if I'm saying, thank you for coming to me. 
thank you for giving me your perspective. Like, I really want to learn. Doesn't necessarily say that you like this all happening, but you love the wisdom you're getting. You love the feedback and what it means to you. So an interesting test you could give yourself to find out if you're a mocker is to say, when I am corrected, either by the Bible, you know, directly like that, or by a friend who comes and says something, or by an authority figure, when I'm corrected, what is my heart's response to that correction? It could show you if you're a mocker or if you're wise. All right, the next section there in verse 9 says, instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Remember on week one of all this, said, you know, the, there's the old saying, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I don't necessarily always agree with that. But I do agree that the wise get wiser and the fools get more foolish. Because the fools aren't listening and the wise are, so the wise are constantly growing their base of knowledge and wisdom. The fools freeze their own development and they literally never grow. And they have no idea what they're missing. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So this all comes back to our relationship with God. This isn't just about turning to chapter 10 and going, hey, here's some great principles. I mean, they are great principles, but unless you're founding your life on a perspective of God, fearing God, loving God, this this will only have minimal impact on you. And then we get to the promise. Kind of one more restatement of the promise before the book goes deep into wisdom. Wisdom will multiply your days. Wisdom will add years to your life. Think of this. If you saw an advertisement, which all of us had, I have, for some sort of special juice you drink that adds years to your life, how many of you would, you know, lean forward, tell me more? Well, Literally, the Bible is giving you that promise right here. Wisdom will add years to your life. So lean forward, say, okay, I'm listening. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. So which table do you want to sit down and dine at? Wisdom has set the place. The forks are in the right order. The cups are there. The napkins, the plate, the big banquet table is ready for you to come and dine in the house of wisdom with, with the wise. And when you go there, you find the way to life. Folly has also set the table for you in the form of a thousand little micro temptations. Stolen water is sweet. We're going to have a lot of fun. You can put off the serious stuff until later. Just come and enjoy yourself. And at that banquet table... What people don't know is when they sit down, they're already sitting in the house of death. So, two questions to wrap this up today. One looks back, one looks forward. Looking back, which invite have I been responding to? So both invites are sitting in front of you. Which one have you been opening most frequently? The invite of foolishness? or the invite of wisdom. Just a little more fun. What's the easier path? What are the cool people doing? Like maybe maybe that's the invite more often than not you've been opening. Or maybe you've been opening the invites of wisdom to say let's think bigger picture. I want to give you the wisdom that will help your life go in the right direction. Here's the forward-looking question. 
which invite will I respond to today? The wonderful thing about knowing is that we're not stuck. I mean, if your heart is still beating, there's still hope, right? Even if you're a mocker, even if you're a fool, even if you've been simple-minded, there's still hope because you can be redeemed out of all of that and set on a totally new course for life. You can still open the invitation. So you'd say, well, which one do I want to open today? And what will that look like for me? Sometimes it begins with calling out for God's mercy. Say, Lord, I've been, I've been dining in the house of foolishness for years. Lord, I need your forgiveness and your grace, and I need a miracle to get me out of here so that I can go respond to wisdom's, wisdom's invitation. And God will do that in your life. Maybe you'd say, I don't feel like I've responded one way or the other. I see both invitations in my life, and right now I'm in kind of a decision moment where I could trend one way or trend another way. Lord, would you give me the grace to select wisdom and to walk your way instead of this world's way or my own way? This is where these things cycle back to faith. Because what you're really doing is you're choosing what and who you will trust. Do I trust God's word and God's wisdom to be the guiding light in my life? Or am I going to trust my own feelings? Which invitation will you open? Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help to pick the right one. Lord Jesus, you know because you lived as a human being, you know the temptations that we face. You felt them, and yet you opened wisdom's invitation every time. You chose the righteous path. And Lord, in doing so, you also demonstrated for us the fact that that kind of a life is possible. So Lord, we want to follow you today and choose that path as well. Instead of trusting in our own understanding, instead of doing what the voices of temptation around us might be pushing us to do, Lord, we want to embrace your word and your way to guide our lives forward. Thank you for setting the table for us. Thank you for keeping a seat open at your banquet table for us. Lord, we don't deserve to sit there, but you've invited us. We're so grateful for that. I pray for each one of my friends in this room and for myself too, that today we would take the steps of seeking your wisdom and not be trapped by foolishness and the lies that are told to us. Lord, help us to play the long game in our lives. Help us to seek what is best. Help us to look to you as our guide and our director rather than our own feelings or opinions. Lord, thank you for laying out this book of Proverbs for us, forcing us to choose an invitation, a pathway, a next step even now. In the weeks ahead, Lord, we're going to read a lot of your wisdom about a lot of specific areas of life. And I just pray, Lord, that as we read that, we would be seeing this through your eyes that we would be hearing this as your word, not just good suggestions, but your direction for us.
Thank you for being so patient with us, Lord, as we find our way forward toward you. I pray that today would be an important step for all of us as we open or reopen wisdom's invitation and say yes to your plan. We look forward to where that will lead. In Jesus' name we pray.